Hello everybody, this is going to be a quiet episode of Zick and Wick because my girlfriend is asleep in the room next door. But we'll try to keep the audio levels as normal as possible. Today we're going to talk about a few things, but the focus as usual will be the latest episode of The Mandalorian. In addition to the latest episode of The Mandalorian, we have some news and notes towards the end of the pod, so stick around for that. But to begin, Zach, how are you doing? I'm pretty good. It's not quite as early for me, but I still got a baby sleeping, so it's kind of quiet in my house too. Yeah, for those of you who are not aware, we are recording today on March the 12th. It is 8.43 a.m here on the west coast but i went to bed after 3 a.m and this is because of daylight saving yeah so i didn't get much sleep and i've been this is one of the worst days of the year every year in my opinion (laughs) pretty bad normally i don't have an event uh, an appointment take care of we're here to entertain you (laughs) yeah let's get started with the episode recap we're talking about episode two of season three the name of this episode is The Minds of Mandalore, so we know what's coming, which is actually kind of surprising. I thought we'd kind of screw around for an episode or two, like go on the hunt for IG-11's memory circuit or have a, some other side quest, but nope, it sounds like we're going straight to Mandalore with the episode title. Yeah, but, I was actually surprised as well. We yeah. went right into the, the story, which I was very happy to see. Yeah. But of course, we have to go to the center of the Star Wars universe first, back to Tatooine. Because we just wouldn't be right if we didn't do that. So the first thing we do is we see, we don't see Din, we see Peli Motto, the mechanic, back in Tatooine. She's currently running a scam with the Jawas because it's it's Boonta Eve, which is the big holiday that they first mentioned in episode one when Anakin's doing his pod race. Again, their big celebration time. So people leave their, their speeders unattended and the Jawas go pick them clean and they bring them to Pelly to fix, and then she pays the Jawas to get the parts back. So it's not nice. like a deep cut. I did not know about Bunta, Bunta, yeah. Bunta Eve. But the very first pod race in episode one that it was during Bunta Eve they talk about. So uh-huh. yeah, a little Easter egg there. So Din does arrive in his starship, and the first thing he does is he asks, asks for the party needs to fix IG-11, the, the memory circuit. She basically calls him Grandpa, or they don't make that part anymore because that unit's so old. But she says she'll ask the Jawas. She asks them. They say the same thing. The part's too old. So very quickly, he gives up on looking for the part. I thought this was going to be like a, multi, maybe not a multi-episode, but probably a whole episode spent just like running, trying to find a part for IG-11. Because he made a big deal out of it in the first episode that, that he wanted him back. But he very quickly gets talked into by Pelly that he's going to take that R5 unit. He didn't really want it, but he's agrees to take it anyways. And then your other deep cut here, you might have remembered that R5 unit. That's the exact same one that the Jawas tried to sell Luke and Uncle Owen in Episode Four. The one that like kind of like breaks down on the when it, while it's rolling out, and then C3PO oh. talks him into buying R2 instead. 
it's they've they've confirmed it's the exact same R2 unit. So then another question that comes up with this kind of first thing is, are we done with IG-11 already? Are we going to come back to them? Like, what was the whole point of that first episode? I, I feel like no we, way we're done with IG. Yeah, I don't I don't think so back. either. But it just felt like they gave up on it really. So we get the R5 unit. We get we get out of Tatooine. So we're going back to Mandal. On the way to Mandalore, Din is kind of teaching Grogu about the Mandalorian system. He does point out Concord Dawn, which is the moon that Death Watch, that their base was mm -hmm. and during the Clone Wars. He also points out Kavala, which was the planet that they went and saw Bo-Katan in the first episode. But we are here to go to Mandalore. So we get onto the planet. We have this big like descent into the storm and all that stuff. But the planet's not too bad when they get out and get to it. So Din has to basically for R5 doesn't want to get out. He basically has to force the droid to get out and go take air, air readings. But then of course R5 doesn't come back. So Din decides to go check on him. This was a little bit of a weird, I don't know, maybe mini plot hole. He pressurizes his helmet to go looking for him. So my question is if he always knew he could pressurize his helmet and all he needs is some air readings, why does he need a droid to do this? Why can't he just pressurize his helmet, buy some air monitor unit, go out, take some readings, and then know if he's good or not. So I don't know. That was that was a little weird to me. I, I felt like they shouldn't have so quickly been like, oh, he can just he can just pressurize his helmet and walk out there, no problem. Yeah. I, well, I mean, it yeah, it seemed like a a, a plot hole. I wasn't sure. It, it seemed like a necessary. Oh, we need to send somebody out there to go you know die and yeah. set up some some tension but yeah it is it it was a little strange yeah so he's looking for r5 he gets into the into the kind of the cave and he sees the ruins of it. the city's called sundari which is the capital city of mandalore they did a very good job in this like making the wreckage look just like it did in, in the clone wars like just a wrecked version of what we saw in the in the animation so they did a, a very good attention to detail on that then he immediately gets attacked by these kind of troll-like monsters, and he fights them off with the dark saber. But it, it kind of this scene kind of reminds the audience that he's still having a hard time using the dark saber; like it's still heavy to him. He doesn't fight very mm -hmm. well with it. So that oh, was yeah. that was kind of a they brought that up big time in the book of Boba Fett. But this was a reminder that he's he's not good with it yet. Okay. Um, so he finds R5 and then he shows him the reading and it basically shows him that the, the air is breathable. So that means Grogu can come out and they can start kind of exploring the city and Grogu doesn't have to stay in the ship. They start, he uses his jetpack, Grogu uses his little pod and they start going down into the depths. As they get deeper, he does find a, like a bust, he, he's kind of looking through the wreckage. He finds this busted out Mandalore, Mandalorian helmet. He picks it up, starts looking. And immediately he gets, he basically gets trapped by this giant cyborg like creature. It's kind of like a big walking giant robot. Just kind of a side note for me. I think the, whatever they did with the visual effects in this season so far, I feel like they've kind of upped their game. I, I haven't noticed anything looking bad. Like I'm having a hard time figuring out what is real and what is CGI. I almost thought that big, that big machine was almost a real machine at first. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I thought I think they've done really good. And the other thing is, I don't. I haven't really been uh, Obi Wan and Book of Boba Fett. There were a couple times I was taken out because you could tell they were doing stuff mm -hmm. in the volume. I haven't. I haven't had that with this season so far. Everything feels pretty natural so far. Yeah, they've been putting in some time in the volume, and maybe it's paying off. And they know how to make it good. So this this brings makes me brings up another issue. I heard. 
and it wasn't an issue for me, but did you have trouble seeing, like, being able to see the scenes in this episode? I I read that same thing, and I've watched it twice. I watched it once in the daylight, so I had, like, kind of light on around the outside. Mm-hmm. And we watched it once at night, and neither time did I ever have a thought that, oh, that's, it's too dark to see things. Okay, yeah, I didn't, I didn't have any trouble with it either. I'm like, what are these guys talking about? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they just need to get a better TV or something. I watched it on two different TVs, and I didn't, I didn't have that issue either time. So, yeah, I have heard that when they color color grade these episodes and they do the testing, they usually do it on a the best possible monitor out there. Right. So it's up to the quality control people to to test it out on different types of monitors. Hmm. How it yeah, that's a good point. I never thought about that before. Yeah, not everybody's got a nice big OLED TV sitting in there and and watching it in pitch black. So. Yeah, I well, I I think the times where it does get bad is when they do night episodes and they want to save money on CGI, so they make it dark and then they are trying to mask some of the mediocre CGI. Yeah, that makes or sense. At least spend if they're doing it in the volume, it should be pretty easy, I think. Well, speaking of the CGI, so the same, so with that big robot monster, we find out later that he's it's just a, a smaller kind of cyborg unit that's running it. I, I mean, I thought the CGI on him looked good. He looked, he looked like a really like an even better version of General Grievous. To me, had the same kind of movements, the same kind of sound, but just looked even more realistic, I guess. But he, I thought, I thought that monster was really cool. Yeah, I thought it was going to be a callback. Well, it definitely was a callback to General Grievous, but I didn't know if it was going to be somehow tied directly to him. Right. Yeah, it's. I. I don't think so. Like the, the General Grievous, like if you know the he's a very like specific alien species. Like that this thing didn't look like anything like it. This thing looks like something that just just somehow survived in the in the caves and made itself this way. So the the thing does trap Din, and Grogu kind of follows along. He doesn't get caught in, or anything, but at the very end, he does approach Din, and Din tells him to go to Bo-Katan for help. And then the cyborg does see him and kind of tries to get him, but doesn't. Kind of gives up kind of easily. He doesn't get him. So Grogu kind of makes his escape out out of Sindari. But as he's going, um, he runs into some like the the kind of alligator things, and then he runs into a, a troll and uses the force and just kind of takes it out no problem. Um, so Grogu uses, gets in the ship. He's able to get back to Kavala. Bo sees the ship coming in, and she is not happy. She's like, we got to get rid of this guy. I'm sick of this this guy. Yeah, she says something about him. Do not come back to talk to again. Yeah, I think it's just kind of a, a continuation of the last episode that she is just done. She's like, she doesn't want to fight anymore. She just wants to be left alone. She doesn't want to be part of any kind of revolution or anything or any kind of bringing Mandalore back together. She tried, and she's just, she's given up. She's done. So she tried and failed. Is this off screen? Is this in captured in any of the the shows? Yeah, she's she try. So at the very, she's actually done it twice. She gets the dark saber back in Rebels, which is about a year before New Hope. So at that point, she tries to lead Mandalore with the dark, but she's not able to do it at that point. She just she can't get the force. Even if she does for a little while, the forces don't don't stick with her and then eventually the whole planet gets bombed by the empire and then it's just kind of everybody's scattered she the then she does try again between season two and season three of the mandalorian 
but because she doesn't have the dark saber and basically nobody's following her at that point. So she's really tried twice and she's just given up. So, but as soon as Bo sees that, like the ship lands, Bo, she's ready to just get rid of him, but she sees it's not him. She's, it's just Grogu and she immediately turns her tune. She's just like, okay, well, let's go help him. And I think this is kind of meant to show that she's still a good person. She may have given up, but she's still a good person deep down. She's just kind of, She's troubled by what's happened to her in the past and some of her decisions. So I think that's what, to me, that's why she flipped so quickly. That's to show the audience that she's just, she's not a bad person. She's just had a lot of bad things happen to her. Yeah, I am wondering whether this whole time, I'm like, are we supposed to think that Bo-Katan is someone that can be trusted? She's, okay, so a question I have for you, and maybe we should save it for later, but I'm going to ask you now, is... The Darksaber. Mm-hmm. Bo-Katan possesses it right now. Well, she she's using it to help Med. <clears throat> right. Is she just going to hand it right back to him? Yeah, you what? see. So after she uses it, he takes it right back because they see they show later in that episode when he's getting going to get into the waters, he has it back and he puts it down with his jetpack and his and his blaster. So she is. This is this is part of the discussion with her is so she keeps making fun of Din for like following these kind of very set rules, like not being able to take your helmet off, like the creed, all that stuff. Like she thinks he's foolish for following these like little kids rules, mm-hmm. but she has the exact same rule with the dark saber. Like she has this for some reason they established in the, the first and second season that the person who has the dark saber can only use it to lead if they want it in combat. And she uh, she hasn't she's never wanted in combat. She was given it as a gift in Rebels, and and it didn't work. And that's why she won't just take it from. That's why she wanted to fight. Oh, I can't think of his name. Moff Gideon. She wanted to fight Moff Gideon for it in season two to win it in combat, if you will, so she can be like the rightful owner of. But that doesn't happen. Din does. Din gets it, and Din just tries to give it to her, and that's why she won't take it because she has this. She has her own little silly rule that she can only lead with she can only lead with it if she wanted in combat. So they're kind of showing the what's her her own credo. Yeah, her own credo, but it's hip she basically like they're kind of hypocrites of each other, I guess. Yeah. But well, this this I think this is obviously a very big theme in the show and especially in this episode is like she's a non-believer, he's a believer, and, you know, the the idea of like faith but anyways, clearly Mando is in a position where he wants to believe mm-hmm. in the belief system, and she does not. Yeah, and she's is, she's given up at this point. And this is almost like a... T- I wonder if we're going to get to a point where Mando's faith is tested, or Bo-Katan is recommitted to right. the Creed because of what's going on. Yeah, I think we're going to talk about that here in a second, like kind of the spark of that. So they get so Bo gets back to Mandalore, and it was it was kind of it was kind of cool seeing her seeing the wreckage because who we don't know if she's seen it since it's all been bombed out and all this stuff. So I mean, this used to be her home, so you know she's got to be feeling all kinds of things as she's doing this. So they get to they get back to the same location they landed. Grogu takes her down the caves. Um, and along the way, she runs into the same cave trolls. 
and she basically takes them out no problem so it's kind of showing her level i think they use this scene to kind of show her level of fighting skills versus mando's where he had trouble with them and she just kind of takes them down no problem um, and then again, the, leading into the next scene where she actually finds the cyborg creature, she uses the dark saber and she she wields it easily. Like you can tell, she's had practice with it. She knows how to use it. It's not heavy to her, and she she takes this creature down no problem. The thing that's like is almost killed in she's she's basically wrecked it in a cut in a matter of thirty seconds. So I think that's this kind of whole group of scene is is showing that we think din's a good fighter well she's she's next level compared to him when it comes to mandalorian fighters so she ends up saving din she gets him back basically takes him back up to the top kind of gets him back to health i guess he or he wakes up and he is still hellbent he's going to the mine he's going to the caves he's going to the mines of mandalore he wants to go bathe in the living waters because he's still following his quest um she thinks his quest is foolish still but she does agree to go take him down to it. And I really think the reason she's doing this is she wants him to see that it's just, there's nothing special about it. It's just a cave with a body of water in it. There's no sparkling anything. He's not going to feel when he jumps in the water, he's not going to feel anything new. Um, it's just, it's just a body of water underneath, uh, underneath these mines. Um, yeah. So why is it called the living water? There is something to that. So I think it's all kind of what Bo's talking about. It's all just kind of theater and more used for like almost like the coronation ceremony for like the royalty of Mandalore. Like it's just where these like celebrations and coronations happen. So it's just got a, a fancy name. That's I think it's just like a place of I don't know okay. if it's a place of worship, but it's like a special place for the for the Mandalorian people. So she takes him down there. She kind of gives him the speech of the what's on the plaque. It's basically the same creed that like that he's he's always reciting that she doesn't really believe in anymore. Didn't didn't but you can see Din is kind of awestruck the whole time he's in here. He's like he can't believe he's actually here and seeing it. This is very like this is where where Bo is kind of taking this. She's just like whatever. This is we're here. He's very much like this is a reverent place. Like it's almost like he's he's gone to like Notre Dame cathedral for a, for a super Catholic or something like that. It's kind of the, the same level. So he's getting ready to jump in the waters cause he knows he's got to bathe in the water. He's taking off his jetpack. He's taking his weapons off. He takes off the dark saber, puts it in a pile, starts walking in, starts reciting the creed. And we can't, I can't really tell at this point if he is pulled into the water or if he just like falls off a cliff. It's kind yeah. of hard to tell. I was wondering that as well. Yeah. Is, I thought he was grabbed. Yeah, that, but... that's what it seemed like at first. But when you go down, like, so immediately Bo jumps in after him and you don't see anything that looks like any kind of monster or anything that grabbed him. So that's where I started thinking, oh, he just kind of fell off the cliff. But I mean, he's down there. Like, she has to she has to use her jetpack and gets way down into the water and gets him and then start pulling him up. And this is, and he's out. Like, he's he, he looks like he's unconscious at this point. So she starts flying him up and... She, as she's flying up, she sees a mythosaur, like this thing that is a symbol of Mandalorian culture that people didn't even think, weren't even sure ever actually existed. It's just like a story of legends. And she sees it in the water there. I don't think Din sees it. I think it's just her. So I think this is kind of all like, even if he, it does, like, even if nothing pulled him into the water, he was meant to go into that water because 
Bo was meant to go down and save him and bring him up. And Bo was meant to see him because Bo, this is going to be the spark that brings back Bo's faith to help, whether it's helped in or be the leader that brings Mandalore back together. And that's kind of where just the episode ends. They get out of the water and she's just, she's in shock that she just saw what she saw. Yeah, I actually, I, I, I picked up on the same thing. She's beginning to believe once again. The did you realize what that creature was when you first saw it? Oh yeah, like, I knew exactly. I knew exactly that's what it was. Have you seen one before, or is it just on the little emblem? Nope. The only time we've ever seen it is just drawings, and then the, yeah, the emblem with the the skull. I, I knew that's what it was going to be. I was I I couldn't believe that they were already getting, and they they've also talked about it a couple times throughout the series, like. Even back in the first season, Quill, the little pig guy, um, he talks mm-hmm. about like when he's trying to ride the blurg at the very beginning, the kind of like the ugly animal thing. He's he's he kind of teases them that your your ancestors rode mythosaurs, and then the armor talked about like there's prophecy that whoever is going to lead Mandalore again is going to ride a mythosaur to do it. That's where the season's going. It's going to be either Bo or or Din riding a mythosaur and kind of being the person that reunites mandalore because yeah they may be able to argue with you didn't win the the dark saber in combat but when other mandalorians see that someone's riding a mythosaur that that's going to bring them all back together so that's your prediction that, that mando that, mando old borkatang is going to be riding the mythosaur or it could be them together too it could be I, yeah it's going to be one of those three options that at this point one of them is going to be the one or both of them is going to be the new leader of mandalore my prediction is that Mando's going to have the opportunity to ride the Mythosaur, to wield the Darksaber, and to lead the Mandalorians. And he's going to turn it down. He's going to reject it to be with his friends on Navarro. But Bo-Katan will take the mantle of leader. Yep, that could be. that. I've That's very plausible as well, too. So, so I, who's going to be the enemy that they fight, though? Is there the, So there's no Empire... There's no empire, but we've already gotten confirmation that Moff Gideon will be back in this season. Mm. I've already I've already talked about we got the we got the name drop with, with Thrawn. Thrawn, so he's a potential. We're gonna have those pirates, like how big of an enemy they are or aren't yeah. are. I mean, who knows? They may. Oh, but we also have the whole like the the whole cloning arc that people like remember back when they were on Navarro and raiding that base in season two, and you see like the. Mm-hmm the messed up Snoke looking clones. We've yep. got that. We've seen in the preview. I don't know if you watched the preview, but we get the cloner, the doctor Pershing. We see him mm-hmm. at some point. Oh. So that, so they're going to play in it. And it looks like he's either, he's on like a city planet. So he's either at, he's either on Coruscant or he's at the, he's in Hosnian prime. He's at the new, like the new, the new Republic's homeworld, okay. um, not homeworld, but like capital city. So he's going to play into it somehow, but he may also be connected to Thrawn somehow. But you know, if he's in it, this is all, I talked about it in the first episode, this is all leading back to the, the Emperor somehow, because the only reason they've got this cloning stuff in is to mm. help, help explain how the Emperor eventually makes it back. So, I mean, it could even be like the spark of the, like not the spark, but the early part of the first order that's coming, starting to come in on this. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of things that could be the, the big bad of this season. Yeah. I would actually like to see them bring in a consistent big bad of some kind, because I 
did not care for the bouncing around like the 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 bat the monster of the week type deal the bad guy of the week i wanted to see more serialized version of mandalorian and i think that the latter episodes of season two were getting to that and i think right. now it seems like we're gonna hopefully we have a big bad we have consistent main characters it doesn't look like who are like our cast of characters in the first season. We have Carl Weathers' character. Mm-hmm. We have Gina's character. Who else did Cara we have Dune. that we were? Ca- we had uh, Quill. The the um, oh, camp. Quill's dead. Yeah, he's dead. Um, IG Eleven. IG Eleven. Um, yeah. Well, I, I think there is something missing without having like a core team. One issue that I noted is that when Mandel is alone, or if he's just talking to Grogu. It, it, those scenes are just not working. It just sounds like exposition and like flat. And oh, he needs somebody else to talk to. You know, it's funny you say, I actually thought the scene between Bo and Grogu worked better than the scene, like the scenes of Din and Grogu. It felt uh, maybe she just, maybe, it could have I think to, they have more to talk about. Like, I think, yeah, I think it has a lot with the helmet too, because you can see Bo's facial expression and kind of like, mm-hmm. Her thoughts, kind of her, you can, you can feel her when she's talking she's, about it, the Jedi. She's emoting she's like, with her face. Exactly. And you can see her, yeah, facial expression. Right. Where you can only do so much. I mean, the helmet, he does a great job, like, like, but there's only so much you can do with the helmet. So, yeah, especially when you have an awesome actor underneath who's so good in other stuff. It's, yeah. But I think, but, I think we will get to the point where he's going to be, He's going to be walking around without a helmet like Bo at some point. I just, I feel like it's coming at some point. It, it has to happen, but uh, there may be some practicalities that are getting in the way, like him filming The Last of Us. I don't know. He's, these guys do, like these big, the big Hollywood actors, they're guys that have multiple movies at one time. They, they make it work. So I think, I think they can, they can make it work if they needed to. Yeah, I hope that's the case. Um, one thing I wanted to note that is like at the end of this episode, you know, that's a big cliffhanger that they drop us on. Yeah. And it's rare that I want more in an episode, but it really felt like they were just teasing us. Like, I wanted like 20 more minutes. I wanted yeah. just a little bit more. It's like, oh, yeah. which I guess is a good thing. Yeah. No, I thought this, I, I liked this episode better than the first, the first episode. I didn't think it was like one of the, Probably not like a top five episode, but it's a top ten episode throughout the the series. It's I I really liked it. Yeah, I thought it was really well, really good as well. So I think that's it for the episode. But we have some other topics that we can discuss that came about in the last week or so. Did you notice? First off, did you notice that they gave the stunt doubles slash suit actors acting credit like that's not normally the case normally they will give them a just like oh these are the stunt people but they gave them like a cast credit yeah i was surprised on that too because i i saw the names and i i ended up, i did the same thing you did i wanted to look them up i'm like i like i i knew there were two others but i didn't know their names but yeah i and it's funny there was actually an, an interview with Pedro Pascal, where he he does the same thing, he name drops the guys, like in the middle of the interview about like just how like these guys are really the ones that are playing all the physical parts. I just I just talk and I'm in the suit sometimes, but he's, I mean, he's more just the the voice guy at this point. Yeah, and I think you know he, Pedro might have forced 
Favreau's hand. But yeah, <laughs> I'm very curious how often Patron. Yeah. Pretty clear that it's mostly these folks. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you can't see my screen, but I'm sharing the article, click on the article link. So they had a whole, uh, do they interview them? It was an interview, because I, I saw, I don't remember like what outlet it was through. Might have been like Vanity Fair or something, but I, but it, yeah, I saw the interview with Pedro Pascal. Oh, you know what? No, it wasn't. It was a StarWars.com interview, like an official, like they have like a Star Wars, like little YouTube six, seven minute video once a week. And he, it was on that. That's where I saw it. Oh, nice. Okay, okay. Well, that was the first thing we wanted to discuss. Cause that was a big deal. We Everyone's been talking about it. I'm glad it's out in the air at, at, at this point. The next thing that happened this week that I wanted to discuss is, uh, I think Bob Iger was getting interviewed as part of like an investor day or, or he was at some sort of conference and essentially confirmed that they're going to start keeping the budget tight on their projects uh they and i don't know if this is just coincidental or just so happens that it leaked the same week but the kevin feige star wars project the patty jenkins star wars project both of those are canceled the taika watiti project that was rumored to be canceled is actually still a go so right now in terms of features the only project that we know of is it is it just taika's project that's the only one that I know of. Everything else is a TV show in development, and, and some of those have been canceled, too. Yeah, uh, so they're really pulling back on the spending. And that's part of that is because of the just the general marketplace like climate. People are not just dumping money into, into streaming anymore, and, and investors want to see profits. And spending a whole bunch of money just to create volume is not, not cutting it anymore. Yeah, and I, this just kind of goes back. We've I've harped on this before. Just comparing the Star Wars universe to MCU. Kathleen Kennedy has no idea what she's doing. She's just <laughs> she. I mean, they shouldn't be announcing these things so far in advance if they know they're not going to happen. Where it's like, but then you look at the MCU and they like. I'll take the example of the last one they did. Like, so they've got all of Phase Five laid out. Like they know all the movies that are coming out for that. Mm-hmm. But Phase mm-hmm. Six. They have they they still showed the chart where there's like eight to ten movies and series coming out, but they've only confirmed three. They've only confirmed Fantastic Four and the two Avengers movies, and that's because they don't know exactly what they're doing with that. They're not going to confirm that this movie's coming out. I mean, it's just too far in advance. It, you shouldn't, mm-hmm. you don't need to be committing to this stuff until you know it's going to happen. Now, with- I want to. I want to give Kathleen Kennedy a little bit of credit. I think she and Disney got caught up in the success of the MCU. Yeah. And it forced them to start making promises they could not, like, the the MCU got really lucky yeah. with the Russos, in my opinion. I think they really hit their stride with Captain America and the arc that began with Captain America. Star Wars just doesn't have that, and you know, I, I, I. There could be if if there was a better person at the helm that was was brave enough to say no to making promises to the audience before they were ready. Maybe we could have avoided it, but I, I, I feel 
I kind of feel pity for Kathleen Kennedy. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, this kind of goes back to, yeah, you're right. Because, I mean, you even go back to, remember, The Last Jedi. Like, The Last Jedi hadn't even come out. And they already said Ryan Johnson's doing a trilogy. Like, nobody's even seen this movie yet. Nobody knows if it's good or not. And you're already already saying you're going to give this guy three more movies. I don't know. Now, it does seem like they have kind of course corrected with the TV. Like, there hasn't really been... The only TV show that's gotten canceled it that I know of is Rangers of the New Republic, and that more has to do with Gina Caron, Cara, yeah. Cara Dunes. I think if she was still on, I don't think that project was canceled because she was going to be one of the main stars of it. But I, I do think they're doing a much better job with TV than the movies. I mean, they haven't they haven't had a movie since the last the Rise episode of the nine. Skywalk. Yeah, what was that? And twenty was that twenty nineteen? That's twenty nineteen. Yeah. I think it's 2019, yeah. That's and just think between 2015 and 2019, they had five movies. Do they have five or six? They had five. The, Star Wars had, movies. Yeah, they had the three main trilogy, and then they had oh, yeah, Rogue Solo, One Rogue and Solo. Solo. So I mean, it's 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 crazy that it's been. I mean, TV has taken the place of it, but it's crazy that it's been four years and they haven't produced another. They haven't even gotten another movie off the ground. Really, they've got yeah. one movie that's hasn't started filming it's just kind of in production at this point and but but that's okay i'm still i'm i'm good with what they're doing on tv even if not all the shows are 100 percent hits like boba fett had his problems and obi-wan had its problems and mando mandalorian i really like but it's not perfect but man andor was awesome so i'm, I'm fine with them keep just keep this and then if they can get them the movie stuff figured out at some point great so we have a comment on Twitch from Kokoris. Question is, do you think some of what's going on has to deal with the Marvel fans and the comic book fans are more okay with all the differences to the source material? Compared to Star Wars fans of the movie. I th- I think I know what he's getting at. Like they they're changing they're changing some of the source material. So like whether it's legends material or even some of the one big thing they've started doing. So they they've if you guys don't know, there's been a ton of books that, that have come out since Disney took over. And there's probably 50 books that have come out. And there's some things that they've redone from the books into live action or even into cartoons that are slightly different. And But it's the same thing with comic books. There's all kinds of comic books from the past 75 years. And MCU just kind of loosely adapts them as, as they like. I think Star Wars is trying to hit those, stay true to it as much as they can. But especially legends, they can they can t- they can they can cherry pick whatever they want. They can use stuff they like, stuff they don't like, stuff with Thrawn, stuff with Mandalorians, the stuff that's happening now, like in the time after Return. Of the- I mean, even the even the Emperor, the clone, him being cloned, that was a direct pull from Legends. So I, I it doesn't bother me at all. Yeah, I think the implication is that our viewer says is that. Many fans will watch the movies. They may not be in touch with what's happening in some of the, some of the legends books, and I guess that disconnect may not. I think everything that you see on screen should be explained from the screen, and and and, and what makes it good. Everything that you want that you're seeing in a show, or in a movie need to be established and the the value and the weight that it has has to come from what's been seen on the screen yeah not from the books 
Yeah. And I think you can, that, that, that is an interesting line to walk though, because I think with the TV, anything that comes on TV, I think you can assume that whoever's watching the TV has seen the movies, but I don't think you can assume when they're, when they do finally make a movie production, you can't assume that the, whoever is watching the movie has seen what was on TV or Disney plus Dr. Strange got in a little bit of trouble with this, the last movie with Wanda, like you, you had to see WandaVision to know a lot what was going on in that, in that movie. And then same thing with the, the latest Ant-Man. If you didn't see Loki, a lot of that's going to not, not hit as well. So I, I don't, I think when they do get into the production of movies again, you can't just assume that. I, and I think having Taika's project move forward is going to be good because that sounds like that can be a really standalone thing where you don't have to pull in knowledge from the, the TV shows or books or anything like that for people to understand what's going on. I think what you said is correct. The TV shows can pull from the movies. The movies can't pull from the TV shows. Right. We've seen that with the MCU, and the movies have a broader audience than the television shows. Right. And one other thing I did forget about this episode in particular is you can definitely tell like Favreau may or not Favreau Filoni may not have written this episode. He may not have been like, he's an executive producer, but he may not have been around to, but he's like, he's still Favreau was still going to Filoni for advice on ways the world should look because what they showed on Mandalore is exactly out of his cartoon. I mean, it's, it just looks like a wrecked version in real life of exactly what he showed on clone wars a couple years ago. So I, he's, he's definitely got his thumb, thumbprint over this still. Yeah, I was wondering that as well. I know I commented about Favreau being like, oh, this guy, he's not part of the Star Wars universe. How does he know or have the knowledge? Is someone giving him the lowdown? This is a lot of a lot of information for him just to be getting it, absorbing it from somebody else. Yeah. He's doing the work, and I should not have doubted him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, he, and when he doesn't know, he he goes to Filoni to ask. So that's what it, that's what it seems like. Yep, yep. Uh, so this episode was written by John Favreau, and it was directed by Rachel Morrison. So Rachel Morrison uh, is was known primarily as a cinematographer. She worked on Black Panther, the first Black Panther, and a few other movies with Ryan Coogler. But it looks like she's starting to direct as well. Actually, she's directed a fair amount of stuff. I didn't know that. I thought she was primarily a cinematographer. Hmm. So she's getting more opportunities now. I don't know. I thought this episode. I, I think she did great. Though. I think this episode flowed really well. It wasn't didn't ever have, have any dead spots. There was no real big like question mark anything. He had a great cliffhanger at the end. I thought it was a. I thought it was a great episode. Yeah, yeah. Very, very excited. So Zach, I don't. Do you have anything else you wanted to add? Nope. But I'm getting hungry. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Zick and Wick. We hope you come back and listen to us again next week. And until then, may the force be with you. Say bye-bye, Zach. Bye. See you later.